This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Hey y'all, welcome to Truth Table, midwives of culture for grace and truth. I'm McKemini. I'm Michelle. And I'm Christina. <coughs> 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 Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reformed African American Network. What up? I'm crashing your <laughs> Who that is? Are those men? Are they even allowed to be in here? <laughs> Are y'all allowed to, to the be table? Here? We want to hear. Yeah, what's 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 what y'all ladies serving up on the table today? Well, since y'all here and wow. you asked, we are talking about gender apartheid. Excellent. Mm-hmm. You came uh, just in time. Yes. Right what? on time. <laughs> what is Awkward. gender apartheid exactly? Yeah, build on that. Break that okay, down. Okay, well, let's just get a little technical here for just for a little bit. Okay, so really what we're talking about is the uh, division, okay, the segregation of the sexes within the church. So we understand that gender is a social construct. So we're technically actually not talking about gender. In fact, we understand that the extra biblical confinement of gender roles has really damaged a lot of our family in the church. So you're going to hear us deal a lot more with the cisgender male-female dynamic today. So gender apartheid is on the table because, you know, it just sounds better than sex apartheid, but that's really what we're talking about. But separation of the biological sexes. But, you know, this just sounds better, y'all. We just keep it real. So (laughs) we want you to know that. Let's be clear. Exactly. Um, So we know that uh, when it comes to... Uh, the gospel and and we, we think about Ephesians 2.14 that talks about how the gospel uh, de- tears down the dividing wall of hostility. Oftentimes that scripture is cited with regard to uh, racial issues, racism and racial reconciliation. But oftentimes I don't, we don't often hear that spoken of with uh, the mind that the gospel actually tears down the dividing wall of hostility between the sexes and between the genders. And so I want us to be able to talk about that uh, today and the reasons why there is this wall, very visible wall erected in the church between uh, men and women and what that's about. So what are some of the places where we see that visibly Mm -hmm. illustrated? Because I would love to to hear that from from your perspective. Yeah, I'm curious what the ladies have to say about where we see these divisions and how it affects you from your perspective. Mm -hmm. I could think, I mean, for me, the first thing that comes to mind for me is in the church, it just seems like there's I, I, there's a place for men and women's ministry, but I think that where there's a chance for us to collaborate and to hear and learn from women, we should be doing that. So I oftentimes see a, a very striking and very clear example of gender apartheid actually at Christian conferences. Hmm. And the conferences that I'm often invited to are often 
always have to do with race, racism, mm-hmm. racial reconciliation, trying to do justice in those spheres, but yet completely um, ignore the toxic patriarchy that is so embedded within the church. And so you go to these conferences and you don't oftentimes hear from women on the main stage. You don't hear them giving plenary talks. Um, and so our voices are often silenced in these spaces where they should not be. Uh, particularly when women actually carry, and particularly black women, uh, start the movements and carry the movement and bring forth this justice. So I think that's, for me, that's a very clear example of where I see the uh, gender apartheid occur. So what about y'all? Anybody Yeah, else? I'd be curious even how it, how it plays out in the local church as well. Mm. And she said mm-hmm. toxic patriarchy. I'm over here taking notes. That's all we got. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, so certainly I think there are spaces in the local church, right? And so you can think about, I can think about it being some it being in some reformed churches that will say, uh, that will de-emphasize um, emotionality. So they want to have a purely cognitive experience, but that doesn't translate into any wow, emotional expression. Mm-hmm. And now men and women everyone has a variety of emotions. I mean, it's not a distinctly female attribute to have emotions, but there is no doubt that emotional expression is associated with women. And to the extent that we want to minimize uh, celebratory praise, that we want to uh, constrain um, uh, tearful worship, Mm -hmm. in some ways I can't help but to think that's not tied to the fact that we see that as feminine. And Mm -hmm. therefore it's somehow deviant and not accepted in the worship service. Mm, That's so good. Wow. There's so much to be said concerning what gender apartheid uh, does to our children uh, and and therefore to the things that people presume they can and cannot do. So men, for instance, are less likely to enter into a space in which nurturing might be required, a space in which they might have to change a diaper. Well, or God forbid, make some macaroni. Come on, wash some dishes, help us. Come on, y'all. And so we live under and are put, we are really enslaved to these divisions. And we are nervous about dismantling something that's actually made us a little bit comfortable. The same thing with explaining to or encouraging some of the young women coming up in particularly evangelical, more conservative reform spaces but encouraging some of the young women coming up that they ought to study the scripture, share about their experiences, pray at church. (laughs) Uh, We have young women who are invited to give their testimonies and they say, oh, I don't hold a microphone. That's not what I do. Um, We have Mm -hmm. churches where women are not allowed to greet at the front door. There are spaces where we have to be so careful that we are not intentionally informing our daughters that they have no visible presence. There is no space in which they belong. And we are not accidentally informing our sons that they have no opportunity to experience the nurturing, to actually have an emotional interaction with as they're growing up, as part of their maturity. And so everyone's growth is stunted because we have selected spaces, one that we define as more feminine or more masculine, which is again, extra biblical, help us Lord. Two, we have accidentally defined the idea of where you belong and what's comfortable 
underneath those false labels, underneath those, that construct. So it's we in danger, y'all. As a guy yeah. who is, you know, learned Christianity in, in very theologically conservative circles, it always came down to two things. It always came down to uh, roles of uh, teaching pastors, mm-hmm. um, you know, who, who, who gets to preach. And it always came down to sexual intercourse mm-hmm. and how far away you can stay from that before marriage and, and keep your yourself, quote unquote, pure. And those are the things that I heard from guys that basically said, in so many words, stay away from women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am trying, you know, I'm in this process of trying to deconstruct, like Michelle said, unbiblical categories of that. And so I'm just... I'm curious about the experience of the women on the podcast of roles in the church, uh, particularly teaching roles. Um, right. Kemeny talked about conferences. What about a local congregation? And where are some ways? Where are some ways that we can break down walls and still affirm um, certain historic biblical stances? All right, now, well, brother. Okay. Jamar just tried. Look, look at him. Right. He tried to see you. Jamar tried it. He tried it. No, but I do want to piggyback just a little bit off of what you said. Um, because I think that, I don't. I mean, I don't think, particularly in, I think, in white evangelical circles, uh, I think the gender apartheid that occurs is an outworking of uh, the purity culture. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I was not subject, you know, to that. So I think coming over to the uh, reform world was just kind of weird for me. You know, because <laughs> I think I'm working on what you're saying is that women are predators and they are to be feared unless they are on their arm and you've hunted them like prey, you know, and they are now yours, right? And they're, and they're your in they're your paths to be legitimate in these circles you know and then then we get into a very interesting place where we're talking about a black man right who's trying to get acceptance when this very white world and then some and i'm gonna go there some do marry white women with that intention okay and i know i just spilled some hot tea but that's, that's another episode. That's, that's another, another episode. episode. That's another episode. That's, that's really, that's really real. And so for me, coming into this world is really weird because I'm used to, I think it's healthy to have good friendships with, with men. And Jamar and Tyler, my, these, these are my homies. I talk to them every day. Like, you know, and so it was a weird thing for me to come into the circle and like, you have guys are like, oh, well, I can't have your number because I'm married and, huh? But I, I don't want you, fool. First thing, first time, get your life, number, number two. Like, you know, so what's really happening? What are you talking about? What are we talking about here? You know, and so that's why, I don't know. It just, for me, that I think that this was something that we really needed to touch on and I think model because it's like we need to be able to, to, to do life on life together. There's no way we can, how can you love your neighbor when you have put a dividing wall yes. between yes. your sister, yes. we know separate is not equal. So we need to cut this out. Jesus is not pleased with this. So, so are you saying that there's something deficient in our theology fundamentally, or is there something sufficient how we're, insufficient how we're working out that theology based upon the influence of our culture being conformed to the, the image of our culture rather than the image of God? 
it, it's definitely it's not the it's not the theology it's the way that we are actually doing it and practicing it and and which i think that see and this is i think this is where we need to probably talk about well how does this look in the black church though right because we we're, we're privy to both ends I, so i'm curious what do y'all think and this is for anybody to answer how does gender apartheid ma- does it number one manifest itself in the black church and if it does how what does that look like yeah, I think it definitely manifests itself in the power dynamics of the church. So mm-hmm. ministry is geared towards men, even though women make up a predominant uh, majority of the congregation, most black church congregations, and for whatever reason, for a number of different varying reasons. But I think the power dynamics are that men can step into places and speak over women, mm-hmm. even on women's issues. Mm-hmm. So I've seen wow. that even in, wow. in, in churches. So I think that's... That's a dangerous thing. So I, mm-hmm. I don't think the black church should be absolved mm-hmm. from that, you know, mm-hmm. even as we talk about the white evangelical world. And I'll chime in from a historical perspective. The modern critiques of the civil rights movement focus on the, the, the artificial division of women and men That's in right. the movement. Come on. And so men were seen as the quote-unquote public faces of the movement, even though women, especially black women, did the work. They were organizing the boycotts. Wow. They were out marching. They were, they were getting beaten right alongside the Preach men and sometimes word. in front of That's them. That's right. And yet they were not given the prominence that their work would have earned them. That's it. And so I think that's a that's a critique the black church needs to receive and we need to do better in the 21st century civil rights movement. One of the problems is, is that women are known by their bodies. So even in the example that you mm-hmm. just gave, Jamar, um, the body as the means of work, right? So the body as, um, th- that's why we can have women be, be mules and workhorses mm-hmm. because we're using their bodies. And that's also the reason why people are so apprehensive about male and female relationships or partnerships because right. women are seen by their bodies, either they're working entities or yes. they're sexual entities. And, um, so, and, and in both of those spaces, they are compartmentalized and dehumanized. What's fascinating to me, if you think about the New Testament passage where, um, you know, where people are always trying to trip, trip up Jesus, right? And think about, think about the scene where they're debating, you know, whose wife is this going to be in heaven, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and they're like, well, you know, I mean, she, then she married this brother, and then this brother married her, and that brother married her. So who's, who's going to get her in heaven? Yeah. Who's going to have her in heaven? Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, uh-uh. That's not how it is in heaven. So there's, some, there's something yeah. about the kingdom that we're going to yeah. in which um, our bodies and the way in which we see each other, it, it strikingly changes. Mm-hmm. And even our concepts of marriage are changed in glory. Right. And so um, there is no marriage, which is fascinating because but there still is racial and ethnic identity in heaven. Uh Right. So there's there's something for us in that to really, really chew on, I think. So this one, this one, it feels like to be at a tea party. Yeah. <laughs> We're spilling the tea. Come on. And you know what? I want to go back to Tyler's question about theology versus application because okay. I think that what Christina brought out is very important and it has such deep impact, but that it actually does shift our theology to the point that we are interpreting scripture differently, despite the fact that the purest biblical theology would prevent us from adding this wall, from rebuilding the wall, the dividing wall, we actually theologize as if it is the only wall that must remain Mm. in the eschaton. And the reason for this is connected to purity culture. It's directly connected with the fact that the church 
don't know what to do with sexuality at all. And therefore, we are completely intimidated by differing genitalia. When I tell you that we actually have rules in some denominations in which you may not participate in a particular leadership anything, in many church constitutions, there are leadership opportunities that are only available to folks who are what? Ordainable. Help us. What does that word mean? Mm. What does the word ordainable mean? Mm. It literally means possesses a penis. Mm. It does not mean is currently in seminary, uh, has graduated with an MDiv, and has gone before a licensure committee. Ordainable means that the person is able to be set to the practice of potentially becoming a church leader. And specifically in some denominations, church leaders may only be male. And therefore, when you whittle it all down, that word is how we live out a theology that we have proof texted to death to twist and to turn in order to to re-erect a wall that God, I believe, torn down in his flesh. Jesus, with his male body, tore down a dividing wall that now allows me to be just as complete as a woman. And yet, in my own context, no one will hear me unless maybe I develop and design a penis-shaped microphone. Because if all you need to have is a penis in order to be heard, then maybe we should have a line of penis microphones. Because it is all that you need to have to pass out communion to take up the offering, to be heard, to shake hands with the visitors when they come in. We are not just misapplying theology. We are actually not doing biblical theology. And I'm going to not say what I'm saying. Well, the, well, the, the fencing of the law has yeah. real consequences, right? So when you, you have God's law, which is pure, it's complete, it is right, um, but you know, people who are, we are, you know, we're perpetual idol makers, right. In, in mm-hmm. our hearts. And so we find ways to bring back a works theology, despite saying that we're grace cases. And one of those ways that we do that is just by fencing the law. That's like God right. says, don't do this. And then the next thing, you know, we, we, we go from don't eat, don't eat the fruit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to don't touch and eat the fruit. Right. And we, we see, we see Adam getting the instruction of don't eat the fruit. We hear Eve having heard, don't touch and eat the fruit. And there are consequences to fencing the law. You're already sort of talking about this, but but I'm curious to see explicit responses. What I most often encounter in some of these Christian circles that I'm in is this idea of a slippery slope. And if if we, quote, allow women to do this, then it's one step closer to women preaching and losing the authority of the Bible and, and all of these things. So so they have to draw a very hard line as far away from what they see as the edge as possible, which is where you get these regulations about quote-unquote ordainable and all these things because folks are so frightened yeah. of going into a theology that they deeply disagree with. So how would you sort of navigate folks who have concerns like that? That's so interesting to me because, um, first of all, whether women can be ordained or not ordained, that's not a heaven or hell issue. 
that ain't going to keep you from the throne of God. We all going to be uh, worshiping together. And so for me personally, I try not to make a mountain out of a molehill. Okay. And, so, and we will talk about that eventually on the show. So I don't even want to delve into it because that's a whole nother topic. But it's interesting to me that that's the slippery slope, but not creating man-made doctrines that are extra biblical <laughs> is not the slippery slope. Come on. That to me is very scary. So I, I personally am not down with erecting walls, establishing walls that God did not establish. I don't like to tamper with the word. I'm very serious about those things, you know, um, and I'm serious to the point where it also cuts me because the gospel contains imperatives and indicatives. Come on, saints. You know, and I flipped it because we hang on the, to the indicatives, but we don't want to do the imperatives, right? Wow. Holiness is still right, y'all. It's still right. Come on, Jesus. And so, so you're not going to, without holiness, you will not see the Lord. And that's another story. But what I, so for me, it's very interesting that the slippery slope comes into play with ovaries and breasts. But it does not come into play. We name it all of them. It, all doesn't parts, come, but it does not come into play when it comes to literally enshrining yes. misogyny in the church. Yes. That That's is That's wicked. That is, it up. that is wicked. That's wicked. You know, and so so I think we, we really need to challenge our challenge um what we have been conditioned to think. And this has deep impact, deep, deep impact on our family life. Uh, Christina breaks down the household of God, this whole the Ephesians. We in Ephesians, so we can hang out there. I cannot live with you. I cannot live with you. If we are on a slippery slope uh, considering friendship, I, I, a woman cannot trust another woman until both of them are married. Oh. To be around men, where's our solidarity? I believe in the beauty of uh, just one gender spaces, women only spaces, men only spaces. I believe in the, that the beauty of that is actually teaching trust between us so that I'm not looking at single women and presuming that they want my husband. And no one need look at me and presume I want what they got. I mean, we, we are actually, because of the walls that we have built, we're actually informing each other that power, control, and yes, authority, I think we broke that down pretty well, but power and control over one another is the end goal. When really, what's that, what's that a testament to? It's testifying to the fact that the curse is still among us, that we have not, we're not living post-resurrection. We're actually still living pre-fall if we're just about control and power and who has who we'll never get to deep friendship and we won't be able to live like a family i'm actually i'm one of one of my uh, more silent reasons why i come to the table is because i'm deeply concerned that if we don't make space and this is not even a question of ordination. If we don't make space for the gifts that God has put into people That's that right. he brings to. So it, it's not ours to reject God's gift. Amen. Right. Like it, it's, it's not for us to reject what God has given us to bless us. And so when we don't make space for the gifts, um, those people are then tempted to leave those yes. spaces. And I can think of a number, particularly of women that I know who are incredibly gifted um, who those gifts just simply were not recognized. And they don't have to be recognized as lead teaching pastor. But but the gifts, they, they need to be utilized in some way, shape, or form. And they have found themselves in spaces that I would say, 
in some ways makes room for those gifts, but requires them to check the boxes on some things that I would find incredibly unorthodox. We are creating that temptation and what we consider to be uh, theologically orthodox spaces when we don't allow people to fully operate in their gifting in a way that honors scripture, right? Yeah. But yeah. but I, I find that our faith is, is much freer than we claim it to be. So I'm a big advocate of Christian liberty, and there is freedom in the gospel. And so I'm always confused when we have this philosophy that we're about constricting and confining. Christians ought to be free people. Amen. Come on. Amen. Freedom is is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It might not say that in Galatians 5.22, but for freedom, Christ has set us free. Amen. We have to remember that. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there really is liberty. That's right. right. So we need to watch out for the reverse. Yeah, we're not experiencing liberty as the family of God. We the do. spirit of the Lord might not be what we get. We do, and, and He didn't set us free to sin. I do want people to know that. Yeah, we, we got guardrails now. Come on now, you know. But you know, I, I, we need to be clear on that because folks go all the way, and we, you know, we ain't going down that road. Well, gentlemen, you know, I have a question for you. I, I, I would love to hear uh, your thoughts about maybe the benefits or the consequences that you experience because of extra biblical or confined uh, gender roles in the church. That is a great question, and and I sort of put myself on blast in responding to it because I'm very sad to say and heavy-hearted to say that it's not really until recently that I've begun interrogating the the status quo as it refers to gender in the church. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful to my long-suffering wife, um, my mother, my sister, for bearing with me in my ignorance. Um, and I'm thankful for, for ladies like you who speak the truth in love, but with scripture there. Um, they are nice. And so, and so it's, it's, it's a learning experience. It's a learning curve that I'm on. But I try to apply the same principles um, that I want folks to use in racial reconciliation to to yes. this topic, right? Yeah. Like, break that down. As a man, down, please. Yeah. seriously, I want to hear that. You have to be consistent. You know, when we talk Michelle about racial reconciliation, <laughs> um, minorities say to the the racial majority, "You need to listen." Well, and right. even Come if on. you don't understand the experience, you've got to give credibility to the experience from the people who have gone through it. Amen. And so, I, as a man, need to do the same thing. As I hear my sisters talking about their experience, the, the physical labor, the emotional labor, the, the, the objectification, all of these things that as a man I experience differently or don't experience at all may be completely foreign to me, but I need to understand that I haven't experienced the same thing that you have, and you have the wisdom through that. And so that's been, I think, as we think about racial reconciliation, we actually have the theology and the platform to talk about gender apartheid in a productive way. And so I feel honestly impoverished, um, not having looked at these things deeply before. I think to the degree that we limit diversity because of divisions, we actually um, impoverish our experience of the gospel. And so at the end of the day, seeing women shine and use their gifts and hearing their voices more enriches me as a believer exactly. and yeah, teaches exactly. me the depth of the unity and the diversity and the beauty of, of, of Christ's bride. Yeah, that's that's exactly where I was going because I think one of the things we miss is that we're not just doing this so that women can have these spaces, but we're doing this so that men can be enriched. Like mm-hmm. we need we need your voice, not just so that you have a voice, but because our manhood 
<laughs> is lacking if you are not speaking into it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I've seen that in, in my own life in marriage. You know, I, I realized how limited my scope was in listening to the opinions, listening to mm-hmm. um, the perspectives of black women, you know, when I married one. <laughs> and so <laughs> well, in, yes. in close proximity, when she's challenging me and my sin, mm-hmm. then we, we have, we get, we get that, that tension moment of, do I really believe that, that right. this is a fellow sister in Christ wow. at the same time that she is my wife in covenant. And so when she is able to speak into that, my, my manhood is actually enriched and I'm able to, to better reflect God as a man. And, and I think we must be honest about the ways in which, and we mentioned it earlier, this perception of running away, this, this machismo, this, you know, macho manhood that we've adopted from America, especially in, even in, mm-hmm. as black men, mm-hmm. um, it is, it is toxic to us and it hurts our, yes. our sons. It hurts our daughters yes. because we're unable to show affection to yes. them. We're unable to value them yes. in the range of emotions as God has created us. And, and I think we have much to learn from our sisters in those areas. So I echo what Jamar is saying. It's, it's for us, too. We mm-hmm. need it. We and without it, it we're, we're deficient as men. That's good. That's good. And so kind of leading into that, as, as we close, what are some of the ways that you would advise brothers in Christ and especially church leaders to, to practically appreciate, create these spaces of celebration and appreciation for sisters in Christ? You're hitting on a lot of good stuff there, Tyler, because I think um, what I'm hearing or what I'm gathering is that uh, toxic masculinity is actually what you're describing is a byproduct of this. um, How can I say this biblical and I said that with quotes, right? Biblical manhood and womanhood, you know, uh, trend that has been going on in white evangelicalism for the last couple of years. And so that, which I don't think is very biblical at all. And so that, and this is a natural consequence um, of that. And, you know, we'll touch, touch on that later, but that I had to bring that out. Um, but I would say, I think a practical way that we can begin to tear down these walls on um, this apartheid is that, uh, Y'all can listen to Truth's Table. Subscribe. <laughs> Subscribe. Subscribe. Right. 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 Uh, hello. Positively. Positively. You know, I'll just say, come on. Help. Pray before you post. Pray before you post. Don't say it's not hate, man. Don't hate us. You know, but really, I, I'm serious. You really do have to seek out um, the voices of women. That's right. Um, and not just uh, women of color, but women. White women, too. White women really suffer in these churches. I'm not naming denomination. I ain't going to do that. But but they really suffer in some ways because, because um, meekness, of, which is actually a quiet strength, you know, is um, bastardized and it's weaponized. Mm. And that is set up as the standard. That's right. And it's used to silence them into and, and, and force them into passivity. And so, um, in, in, by and large, right? And so they oftentimes don't actually... Their agency is restricted in some of these circles. And so they're not actually able to really speak up for themselves the way that they ought to. And I think as women of color, we are more naturally, um, I think we're naturally it's in us to be like, oh, hold up, you ain't going to just keep running over me like that. You know, and that's not to say all of us are, but I know the women at this table ain't trying to do that. Like, we're not letting that happen. You know, so I think that that's something um, that we have to also recognize as well, because I don't want them to be left out of that conversation, because this is a, a real thing. But I think seeking out these voices of women to learn from them, gifted women, 
who can teach this word, who can give you a different perspective, a different vantage point on the gospel um, is really key. So, uh, so I'm reading blogs, you know, listening to podcasts from women of color. Um, how about including them in the conferences? Qualified women who are more qualified than men that are actually up there speaking. You know, I mean, really, we have to make space and we have to be very intentional. It's not going to happen naturally. And if so. you're a church leader, you need to make sure that you are taking the risk of putting the most marginalized people in your context at the center of a story that you're listening to. I love the way Jamar broke down. Look, we've got all these tools and frameworks mm -hmm. for race, for racial unity, but we actually have to run the race of not seeing walls erected that we know Jesus has already torn down. So yeah. I think there's a risk in asking women to say a prayer in your worship service, but it needs to be done. There's a risk in asking men and women together to teach children, but it needs to be done. So you need to both encourage and model for young men the understanding that gender constructs are wrong. And you also need to encourage and model for young women this understanding that it is, we can no longer equate meekness with obedience. And we cannot presume that boldness represents an utter lack of humility. Because boldness in men don't mean they lack humility. So what's what's wrong with us? So I, I do truly believe that we have to actually do the risk taking as church leaders, men and women who are leader leaders in the church need to take the risk of being of losing somebody, of losing some budget, of losing some social standing. The same way we would tell y'all to dismantle white supremacy, we are demanding that toxic masculinity be dismantled for our flourishing, for our ability to live as unified people. Yeah, and you know, and all see, all sin has the same end game, which is death. That's right. And so the the consequences of white supremacy and toxic um, mas masculinity, patriarchy, it, it it ends in people li literally losing their lives. That's right. And I would say, you know, a, a bit of advice to believers, but particularly my brothers who might be in positions of power and authority to affect change, is to look to Jesus, Amen. is to look at Jesus's rebuke of his male disciples and their treatment of women, mm -hmm. to look to Jesus in his regard for women and his use of them, uh, to look to Jesus as you see women sitting in the position, position of disciple and student. Um, so I think he, you know, Christ is our example uh, just, just period. Um, and, and, in, and in this regard, Christ continues to be our example in how we ought to treat each other. He models something um, really profound in the way that he honors his mother, in the way that he women are near him learning and growing and serving. And it does not surprise me that if you look at the New Testament church, you see these wealthy Greek women bankrolling the church, right? right? You see, which, you know, which, you know, and so... And you, you see Phoebe, sir. I mean, you see these examples. I would question my brothers and sisters to, to say, why do you ignore these examples? Why do you choose to, um, to just ignore what the scripture has given us? Uh, and if we really are sola scriptura people, then we want to seek out God's word. And we want to obey what we see in the text. And it is there. It is there. Christ honors and sees women. And we see them growing in his word. And we see them using that word, just like Priscilla with her husband Aquila, sharpening, sharpening preachers. So women in your church should be working to help sharpen preachers.
And power is why we ignore baby. Power is why we ignore Priscilla. That's right. That's all. Wow. So I love podcasting as a medium. But the one thing you can't do is see Tyler and I looking at each other <laughs> and just being like minds blown for the last thirty-five That's why minutes. It was so hot, but it was so good. You know, it's 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 the burning that brings a blessing. Wow! Then, wow. Um, come on, Doc. Come on! And, come on I know. I'm just saying. You know, like Tyler was saying before, it blesses us, um, both as men, but particularly as believers, to hear these perspectives, to receive them, and to be edified. So I'm, I, I just feel full right now. I feel yeah. so enriched, and like I have a greater experience of Jesus uh, because we have a little taste of what he's trying to teach us about the dignity of all people embodied, whether in brown skin or black skin or peach skin, but also embodied in maleness and femaleness in terms of sex and biology and and these constructed gender roles. We've man. uh, So what it has done is given me another facet of the gospel to worship God and praise him for his power to bring down these barriers and divisions. So thank you, ladies, for your honesty. Thank you for letting us sit at the table and Listen, sip um, a little tea. Sip a little tea. Uh, I'm gonna go try to cool off my my tongue. And everything, but my goodness, it was good. Tyler, yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys. It's such an honor, and we just support Truth's Table and what you guys are doing, and have learned so much from the podcast already. And y'all only a couple of episodes <laughs> in, so man, I can't man. even imagine where it's going. And, and I say this, you know, we got five people. I do five on five with anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Who want to run five? Squad. <laughs> Squad. <laughs> Gender is a topic that is complicated and vast, and we want to do this topic justice. So we recognize that this conversation doesn't reflect the perspectives of transgender image bearers. Additionally, we acknowledge for the very reason that we have this table, Truth's Table, it is most honorable to talk to people instead of about them. This episode is brought to you in part by Ministry Pivot with Russell St. Bernard. This podcast features important conversations with industry leaders such as Nona Jones, Bishop Walter Scott Thomas, Reverend Dr. Nicole Martin, and so many more. Visit ministrypivot.com or on all streaming platforms.